morning, everyone. Rachel, you got me with the April Fool's joke. That was good. You better believe it. I am coming for you. That was really, really great. No, I'm, I'm just I'm not coming for you like that. That was great. Um, good morning, everybody. My name is Jalen Baker. I serve as the pastoral resident here. And I have to be honest with y'all. So I had the opportunity to preach um, at Rutgers yesterday, the Indian Christian Fellowship. And y'all know how I can get when I preach. It's a full-fledged body experience. So that means today I'm running on caffeine fumes. It's like, yo, am I here or is the spirit here? I think the spirit's here and this is going to be an out-of-body experience. But I'm so excited to continue our series in Philippians. And it's interesting because today as we begin in verse 27, Paul is, ash, is actually shifting the way he's talking to the church, right? He sort of is moving from this first-person per narrative, I, and he's shifting to talking to the church. He's now giving pastoral encouragements and exhortations. And what we see now in 27 through 30, and this is, I think is going to be the theme throughout, for the rest of the book, what we see now is he is allowing their experience to take center stage. And we see his experience kind of fade into the background. And I think this is really cool because as he's talking to the Philippian church, I think that he's also talking to us, right? We cannot insert ourselves into the conversation. So this is actually really, really exciting. And this morning, Paul uses really, really interesting language. And he makes a, an emphatic statement, right, in verse 27. He says that, I want you to live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. This is fascinating because he, he's using a political metaphor when he is invoking citizenship, right? And what underlies this sort of political metaphor is this question of whose kingdom do you belong to? And where do your allegiances ultimately lie, right? And the way we answer these questions will inform how we live, which is what Paul is going to get at here. I'm also excited this morning because Paul is also using military and athletic language, right? When he says, stand firm. When he says, you have to contend for the faith. I actually have a slide this morning, which is very, very exciting for me, that, 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 will, actually, that, will, that will illustrate how he's using this kind of language. So I'm very excited about that, that as well. And with that, let's dive in. Let's dive in. Starting with verse 27. Let me pull it up here. Do we have the scrolly Bible? That keeps me afloat. Hey, there we go. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, this is interesting, right? Because this language here really does not sort of say, and, and, and it, it does not communicate the force behind it, right? Because what Paul is really saying here is, since you are citizens of heaven, you have to live out your citizenship, right? You have to live as if you are a, you are a child of God, and you have to live out and embody what it means to be a child of God. And again, it's interesting because this political language is unique because Paul usually does not describe the Christian lifestyle on the terms of citizenship, right? Usually when he describes a Christian lifestyle, he says, you should walk by faith, 
right? Or you should walk in the spirit, Galatians 5, 16. But here he invokes citizenship. Why? Well, here's the, here it is. Paul understands that the church in Philippi has a very privileged status as a Roman colony, right? And their Roman citizenship carries with it certain privileges that they, they could easily be tempted to live as Roman citizens and also live by the definitions and standards of life of a Roman. But Paul reminds them that you belong to a higher kingdom. You belong to a higher empire. The king that you answer to is not Nero, the Roman emperor. The king you answer to is King Jesus, right? And he's reminding them that don't be tempted by this Roman citizenship. Don't be tempted to live as Roman citizens. But you are a citizen of heaven. And you have to remember that as, 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 as enticing as it might seem, to live in the world and live as the world dictates, your citizenship in heaven requires a higher loyalty. It requires a higher um, allegiance, right? And this is something that he has to remind them of. And what's interesting here is the Philippians have to make the decisive choice to give up some of their privileges in order to truly be free, right? And this is interesting, right? Because they have to make a choice and say, you know what? As enticing as my privileges could be as a Roman, right? As, in, as, as, as enticing as my lifestyle could be as a Roman, I have to make the choice to say, as a citizen of heaven, I'm truly free, right? I'm truly gonna be alive. I'm truly gonna live a privileged life as a child of God. Tough choice for sure, but Paul is saying the choice you've already made. And now I have to remind you now, remember who you are. Don't be tempted. Don't be enticed, right? So that's what he means there. Now the question becomes now, how do I live out my citizenship? So I am a citizen of heaven, right? Now how do I live my citizenship out? Paul says, you have to live it in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul here is saying that living out your citizenship is about belief and it's also about behavior, right? Belief and behavior. So Christianity is not simply about confessing Jesus as our Lord, right? But it's also about embodying what he has taught right? Embodying what he has preached. It's about reflecting the life of Jesus in our life. Because see, for Paul, Christianity is not simply a set of propositional truths or correct beliefs. But Christianity for Paul establishes a code of Christian conduct, right? I have to now live into my Christianity. I have to live into who Christ has called me to be. It's not just about belief, but it's also about right behavior. You know, thinking about this, I thought about the, the image of marriage, right? And, and <laughs> someone laughed. Why, 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 why are we laughing? I'm intrigued at why we're laughing at that. That's, that's, that's hilarious that we're laughing. That's interesting. 
<laughs> this way. <laughs> that was funny. That was hilarious. <laughs> That's great. Oh, he got years in the game. So, so I believe you, brother. I believe you, brother. He got years in the game. But I was intrigued by this. So, so when you think about the image of marriage, right? On the wedding day, it's a jubilant day, right? We married. But after the wedding day, we now have to live out as a married couple. We are not connected to each other forever, right? And Paul is saying that the moment you're saved, that's a great day. You've been saved. You've accepted Jesus as your Savior, but it does not stop there. Just like on the day you get married, it doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. That's just the start. Now you have to live as a married couple. Over here, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you've been saved. Now you have to live like you're saved. You have to live like Jesus has saved your life, has brought you into this heavenly citizenship, and now live as if, and now live as a child of God, a child of the kingdom. So it's not just about belief. We have to live it out, right? And Paul is saying that in order for us to truly live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, we have to live our lives according to the values, the norms, and the behavioral practices of Christ and not according to the values and norms of the culture that we live in, right? There has to be a distinction between how we live and how someone who is of the world lives because we are a part of a different kingdom. Our kingdom demands something entirely and wholly different than what the world requires. And Paul is saying we have to live into that citizenship. And I want to also say here, that Paul is not arguing for a works-based kind of faith, right? He's not saying that if you do good things, perform good acts, that then makes you worthy of salvation, that then makes you worthy of the gospel. No. But when he says live a life, uh, live, live a life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, he's saying that you ought to live a life that is consistent with the gospel. You ought to live a life that is consistent with how Jesus is, teaches us how to live, right? So since you have been saved, now you have to live like you've been saved. Now you have to actually live into all that Christ has saved you to be. So it's not about works, right? It's, but, but it's about intentionality. It's about saying, you know what? Since I'm a Christian and since I believe these things, I want to embody what I believe. I want to live into what I believe, right? It's making that conscious choice to say, you know what? I am a heavenly citizen, which means that I have to conduct myself as a child of the kingdom. And Paul is going to say that when we do these kind of things, when we decide to live this kind of life, it's going to bring opposition, right? It's going to bring about it's going to bring about conflict, struggle, and, and we're going to talk about it a little later. It's going to bring about suffering as well. But before we get to that, Paul actually advises us a little bit. He says, live your life in a manner worthy of, in, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
so, that I'm, so whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit. Why is this important to Paul? This is important to Paul because because standing firm, he's borrowing military language now, right? It, it means that we're standing steadfast on the gospel, right? It means that, that in the midst of opposition, in the midst of struggle, we're still standing on the truth of the gospel, just like a soldier is standing steadfast and not abandoning his post in the middle of war, we also have to stand steadfast, which brings us to our slide. There she is. So Josephus is a Jewish Roman historian and military leader. I wanted to bring this out because I wanted to sort of really flesh out why Paul is using this military language. So Josephus describes how an army describes how an army is is, is conducting themselves in, in battle, and he's and he's just extraordinarily just like blown away about how they do this. Right? This is how he describes it. He says, "This perfect discipline makes the army an ornament of peacetime, and in war wells the whole entire a single body. So compact are their ranks, so alert are their movements, and willing to right or left." So quick their ears for orders, their eyes for signals, their hands to act upon them. Prompt as they consequently ever are in action, none are slower than they succumb to suffering. And never have they been known in any predicament to be beaten by numbers, by ruse, by difficulty of ground, or even by fortune. For they have more assurance of victory than of fortune. So Paul sees how the military operates. And he says, as soldiers of Jesus, as soldiers of Christ, we have, to, we have to get into formation, right? When opposition comes our way, we have to stand together, united by one spirit. He says that we have to be similar in our disposition and purpose, right? That way, when we are spreading the gospel and living out the gospel, as we stand together, side by side, in lockstep, united by the spirit that lives within us all, nothing can get in our way. Nothing can tear us down, right? And, 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 and he, he emphasizes this because we're not meant to live this Christian life alone, right? We're not meant to struggle alone. When we're living this Christian life, embodying the gospel, embodying the words of Jesus. We're meant to do it together in a community, reinforcing one another, right? Strengthening one another, encouraging one another, right? We're meant to do this thing, live this Christian life together. That way, when one of us faces opposition, we have each other's back. We can get in front of the other person and say, I got you. I'm with you. You're not alone in this. You Continue to stand firm because I'm standing firm right beside you. And he goes on to say, standing firm in one spirit. Oh, go, go back, go back, go back, go back up, go back up, go back up, go back up, go back up. There it is. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, striving is an interesting word here because this evokes an athletic contest, right? Because usually in an athletic contest, the team would have to would have to engage in a it would have to engage in a contest for a long period of time. 
So they would have to be in it for the long haul. It wouldn't be a quick game. It would be a very, very long game. And as they are striving together, they know that they have to be in it with one another even when they get tired, right? And when one person gets tired, the idea is the other person can kind of fill in the gaps, right? And, when, and, and as we're filling in the gaps for one another, we're standing together. And that represents the unit, right? It's going to be a strenuous effort in this thing called life as we are embodying the gospel, right, as we are embodying Jesus' command. We're striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel, right? So Paul truly does believe that it is our job as Christians, it is our duty as citizens of heaven, right, to not only believe and stand on the gospel, but as we embody the gospel, we're also spreading its message, right? As we are living out the values of the kingdom, those values are going to seep into the culture. They're going to seep into our environments, right? They're going to seep into the places where we're at. So that's why he wants us to intentionally embody the gospel and embody the teachings of Jesus because they are because our, because our example is going to be our witness. Right. And that's really important for Paul, because as as our example is going to be the, our witness, that is going to allow people to be drawn to Christ and drawn to the spirit through us living our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. In a manner that is consistent with the gospel message. Right. So that's why he says we have to stand side by side together as a unit for the faith of the gospel. Now we can go to the next verse. And now, he gets into, and now he gets into some hard truths, right? Because the reason he emphasizes us standing together and us being one unit is because he also knows the same way that our witness can attract people to us, our witness will also attract opponents to us, right? Because when you think about it, the values of the kingdom of heaven is wholly different and wholly opposite than the philosophies, ideologies, and values of the world. It's just completely the opposite, right? And what, and, what, and what can happen, church, is this. As we're living out our Christianity, as we're living out our witness, in the environments we've been called into, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, right? As we're living this out, it is going to contradict the lifestyle. It's going to contradict the beliefs of the communities that we're in, right? It's going to contradict. And when it contradicts how people live and how people believe, they're going to, they're going to be offended by that, right? And when people get offended by these things, what do they do? They go on the attack, right? And sometimes it's going to be illogical, it's going to be mean for no reason at all, right? It's not going to be fair. Paul is saying you should expect this, right? This is something that is going to happen. And when it happens, you are not to be frightened in anything by your opponents. Why? Well, here's, this, this is what he says. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, my God, but of your salvation and that from God. So Paul is reminding us 
of what's at stake, right? So the people that oppose you because you believe what you believe and because you live the way you live, you have to remember that their opposition to you is also an opposition to God and the God you serve, which means that that is going to lead ultimately to their destruction. When he says destruction, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about end-time judgment, right? God's going to judge them in the end. And obviously, we're praying fiercely that people come to Christ, that people are drawn to our witness, right? But for those who are not, their end will be destruction. And our end, because we are persevering, and we're staying the course, living out the gospel, our end will be eternal salvation. Our end will be, will be an eternity in heaven with our Savior, Jesus Christ, right? And Paul said you have to remember this, right? And I think he does this for two reasons. He does this for, the first reason is, remember this when you're tempted to go to that side, right? Remember this when you're tempted to, 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 to compromise your identity in Christ, to compromise your, 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 your witness in the way you live according to the standards of the kingdom, right? When you're tempted to, to be accepted and to, be, to feel a sense of belonging in the world, remember what's at stake, right? Your soul is at stake. And this is why I think it's important that we stand together. Because, yes, we're going to go through hardships right? Because of what we believe and because how we're choosing to live, right? So if, if we're having a tough week at work or just a tough week with our families or anything like that, right, we have to come here to this place in this community and say, yo, it's been hard. It's been tough. I don't know how much longer I can put up with this. And that's when we step in and say, you can put up with it because I got your back. I'm with you. Remember the privileges that you have as a citizen of, of the kingdom and also remember the cost, right? What you're going through is for the sake of the gospel. What you're going through is for the sake of the kingdom, right? And just because you, you're enduring some tough stuff right now, it does not mean your work is in vain. It does not mean God has forgotten about you right? What it means is you're living it out and you're just facing opposition because your lifestyle, our lifestyle, right, is completely opposite than how the world works, right? So we have to stay the course and remember that when we stay the course, our ultimate destination is an eternity in paradise with Jesus with Christ, where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more having to put up with stuff from the world, right? There will be no more of this stuff where we have to endure suffering and endure struggle just because how we choose to live our lives as heavenly citizens. Stay the course. Keep the faith. I'm right here with you. I got your back, and I'll help you strategize on how to live through it on how to get through it. And remember, keep your prayers going to God because God promises you what? He promises you peace. He promises you joy. 
this internal stability that will give you poise and composure in the midst of what you're going through, remember what God has promised you. And I promise you, you will get through it. So Paul takes it there. He says, you, you, you remain steadfast to remember that your opponents, those who oppose you, they're going to see destruction. But as for you, child of God, if you stay the course and continue with it, your reward will be eternal salvation, life with Jesus in a perfect body, in a perfect spirit, where there be no more suffering and no more pain. Now, the next verse. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Isn't it interesting how every time we talk about suffering, I'm the one that's preaching? <laughs> Isn't that fascinating? It's like a conspiracy, right? It's like, yo, Jalen, you got it. I'm like, okay, I guess I do. Whatever. The, the spirit got it. So this is really interesting. So I ain't go, I'm not going to tell the story, right? I struggled with this verse this week, right? I really did. God, me and God was wrestling, but he came out on top as he always does. Because check it out. He says, for it has been granted to you and for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Let's, let, let's unpack that first phrase there. For it has been granted to you. Now, the full translation for granted in the Greek is graciously given. Right? For it has been graciously given to you suffering for the sake of Christ. My God, my God. So Paul is saying that not only is suffering part for the course, He's saying that suffering is a gift. Suffering on behalf of Christ is a gift from God, right? It is like, dang, Paul, why? Is this, this is when me and God started wrestling a little bit this week. Why, 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 why? So you know what God told me this week? This is what he said. He said, Jalen, I need you to reorient your entire thinking around suffering. Because here's the thing, Here, if, I'm being honest with my, if I'm being honest with you this morning, church, I try to avoid suffering at all costs. I really do, right? I ain't trying to have no enemies. I ain't trying to hurt nobody's feelings. Yo, I'm, hey man, I'm cool. You do you, stay over there. Hey, I ain't trying to have no problems. Like for real, for real. Like I really ain't trying to cross over into any kind of struggle suffering that ain't got to be there, right? I'm trying to avoid it at all costs. And God was like, you know, man, son, big fella, that's not the reality of a citizen of heaven, though. That's not the reality of, of someone that is my child, right? Because Paul has already set us up. When you live as a citizen, and you conduct yourself as a follower of Jesus, it is going, it, it, you're, you're going to be open to opposition. People are not going to like this, right? And here's what I got to say about Paul, y'all. This, this is probably what I love the most about Paul. Paul loves Jesus. I mean, this dude, like, immensely loves Jesus. So much so, y'all, that he'll say this. If my Savior, who lived a perfect life, if his perfect life brought opposition, 
if his perfect life brought him trouble and brought him struggle because of how he lived, yo, I'm game for it. I would do the exact same thing, right? Because I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like my Savior. And Paul is saying that when you do endure suffering for Christ's sake, What that means is the spirit is so alive in you that you are emanating God in such a way that is evoking a response. It's evoking a negative response and also a positive response, right? But it's evoking people to respond to the way you're living. And Paul is saying, fam, that's a gift. That means that you are living into the conduct of the kingdom. You're allowing the spirit to transform you in such a way where folk are looking at you and saying, what is he doing? What is she doing? Who do they think they are? And Paul is saying, that's good. That's good. And and God challenged me this week. He said, Jalen, what if, oh Lord, okay. He says, what if, Jalen, when you suffer for my sake, what if your response is not, why me? What if your response is not self-pity? But what if your response is, you know what? I'm suffering for Christ, and that's a good thing. I'm suffering on behalf of the kingdom and the gospel, and this is a good thing. A total reorientation of how we view suffering. It's good. It is good. What if we shift our thinking in such a way where we say, Lord, oh, God, my God. I'm, I had a response to it. Where we say, Lord, thank you. Oh, my God. I'm still wrestling with it, y'all. Thank you, Lord, for what I'm going through. Thank you, Lord that your spirit is so alive in me that I have to endure this temporary suffering, this temporary struggle. And God, what I actually see in the midst of my suffering is my way to eternity. What I actually see in my temporary suffering is me being with you one day. My God, that's what I actually see. So I don't see what I'm going through, but I see where I'm going. I don't see what I have to get through. I see where I'm going one day. My God. And that's what I see. So, Lord, shift my thinking. Shift my mentality to say it is a privilege and honor to suffer on your sake. It's a privilege and honor to suffer on behalf of your gospel and your kingdom. I saw you do it, Jesus. And you changed the world through your suffering. So let me say, so let me say like Paul, me too. I'm raising my hand. Me too. And that is hard, y'all. Am I, am I, am I by myself? It, that's hard. That's immensely difficult. Because that's not how we live our lives. Suffering, man, get on with that. What? Get on somewhere. Nope. Come here. <laughs> Jesus. Come here. I'm ready for it. I'm game for it. 
Because I, 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 I want to live my life in a manner worthy of the gospel, in a manner that is consistent with the gospel. So therefore, I'm, 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 so therefore I'm going to embrace suffering on behalf of Christ. Paul did not view suffering as something that should be escaped. He didn't view it that way. He embraced it, right, on behalf of Christ. So, so he's, he's not talking about suffering that, that, that stems from living in a broken world, like being a refugee, refugee of war, being a victim of unjust violence, anything like that. He's talking about suffering on Christ's sake, suffering on behalf of the gospel. I embrace it. I welcome it. Because if it's here, that means the spirit is alive in me. And, th and that's the thing, right? When the spirit is alive in you, you're living a life that is full, right? That is absolutely full. When the spirit is alive in you, you're living a life not based on the world's definition of success, of happiness, of joy. You are in lockstep with God and his kingdom. And, we, and, and, and as long as you are in lockstep with God and his kingdom, you're great. We're great. Right? We ain't worried about what the world talking about. We ain't worried about what folks talking about. All we're concerned with is what God is talking about, what God is saying to us. And if God says for a temporary time, you got to endure a little suffering, thank you, Lord. I will, I will, I will. As hard as it might be, I will, God, because I know that you are my protector, you are my provider. You are my sustainer, and I got my homies with me. We're getting information, baby. Right? I got people next to me, standing right by me, saying, hey, man, you good. Sis, you good. It's hard. I see you, though. Anything you need, I got you. Any support you need, I got you. Because you're not alone in this. We see it's hard. We know it's hard. But as your family in Christ... We are right beside you. We're striving together. We're standing firm on the gospel together because we are the family of God. And that is what the church does. Embrace it. Embrace it. So that's what God told me as I was wrestling with this this week. It was hard. It was, it was, it was, it was a tough week. But like I said, when you wrestle with the Lord, he always comes out on top. We're never a match for him. In closing, Paul ends this text by saying, oh, yeah. There we go. I see it. I'm just going to read. I'm going to read. I'm going to read 20, uh, 29 and 38 together. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Here is verse 30. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. Paul is so pastoral. Right? So pastoral. He's saying, look, y'all. I know it's hard, but I'm with you. We in this thing together. We're, in, we're engaged in the exact same conflict, right? And Paul says, I want you to see me and how I have endured. See me and how I have persevered. And let me be an example, right? That if you live your life for Jesus, joy is still possible. Peace is still possible right? 
You, like everything you need will be provided for. Let me be the example. Look to me if you need to, right? Because I'm with you. I got your back, right? And I'm telling you, if you persevere and you keep the faith, you will make it. You will make it. The opposition to you does not stand a chance. They don't stand a chance, right? It's, it's a battle that has already been won, and it's in your favor. You got this. I promise you. So hang in there, right? I feel like I'm talking to myself now. Hang in there. Keep the faith. God has you, my God. Jesus has you. Keep the faith and hang in there. And as I close this thing out, I just want to highlight that living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel is absolutely worth it, right? Don't let suffering or struggle be our excuse for not going all in, right? Which is a very hard thing to take in. But don't let that be your excuse, right? Because again, suffering and struggle may come, but the Spirit is giving you everything you need. The Spirit is giving you all the energy, the strength, the perseverance that you need. And remember, you got your homies. You got the church by your side. Let's lean on each other, right? Because if we're going to actually be about the business of living out the gospel, we need each other desperately, right? So let's intentionally lean on one another and say, you know what, this week, at my job, it's been difficult. This week at home, it's been hard, right? And I, I'm not a parent, but trying to be a Christian and parent kids, it's hard. Like trying to practice patience and kindness to crying babies all day when they ain't thankful for what I'm giving them, it's hard, it's difficult, right? It's a mundane thing, but I, I imagine parents, you can testify, that's, that can be difficult at times, right? That can be very, very hard, right? Thank you. So let's lean on each other and say, hey, what you're investing in your workplace, your child, your family, is worth it. Living your life in this way, it's worth it. It's worth it, right? Because it's twofold. You're full, you're satisfied, you're saved, and you're on your way to ultimate salvation, and you potentially, prayerfully, are attracting other people to the Spirit, attracting other folks to the life that you have right now. So it's twofold, right? It is absolutely worth it, even though, I'm going to say this, you will endure suffering. You will endure struggle, right? It's hard for me to say. Ain't no if ands about it. It's going to happen. But it's okay. We saw Jesus get through it. We saw Paul get through it. We've seen generations of the church endure. And they have lived fruitful lives in the spirit because they went all in. So, oh, let us be the church that goes all in and says, Lord, if it be your will that I endure suffering just for a little while, I know it's worth it for your sake and your sake alone. As the worship team comes back up, 
I'm going to end our time in prayer, and then we go into communion. God, we thank you. We thank you so much, Lord, for this Christian life that we have been called to. And Lord, we know this is a hard word. It's a difficult word. But God, let us see past and beyond what we, what, what, what we go through. Let us see past the struggle and suffering and let us only see you. Let us look to you always, God. Let us pursue you always, God. And as long as we keep our eyes on you, as long as we fix our eyes on you, we're going to be great. We're going to be able to endure anything because you're with us, you're for us, and you empower us through the life of your spirit. So we're thankful, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.